church. If you could make your way in and stand with us if you're able, and let us celebrate and sing to our God how great He is. Here we go. How bless your name, O oh God, each day that I awake. From dawn to setting sun, your greatness I'll proclaim. Your glory far exceeds all human thought. So with each breath I'll bless your name, O God. Your name will be revered by children yet to come. As generations sing of wonders you have done. Your strong and mighty destroy your power will proclaim till Christ descends and you will reign forever without end how great is the Lord and greatly to be praised how great is the over oh well we're human it's still good to see you all here this morning and i want to read from you read to you from lamentations chapter 3 it says this but this i call to mind and therefore i have hope the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You might be wondering, well, why are you reading from Lamentations when that song we just sang is based off Psalm 145? And it's because there is still great reasons to praise God's name when even we are walking through a difficult time, when we're in the wilderness, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God is the one who is constant and unchanging, and we always have reasons to sing how great is our Lord. And so when he is our portion, we see that every morning is filled with new mercies day by day. And so it's an encouraging reminder to you. But again, we are so thankful that you are here with us this morning to praise and sing how great our God is. If you would, please take out briefly uh, your worship folder. In this worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about things that are going on in the church right now. But you'll also find uh, this little check-in card. And so if you could just do us a favor and fill that out real quickly, or if you don't want to fill out paper, you can do it digitally on our church app, which you can download. You can also sign up for events on the back of this card and let us know any prayer requests or praises that you'd like to share with us in the church body. We love to pray for one another. Um, at the end of the service, you can take this card and there are, uh, there's a white table at either entrance and you can slide it in the little slot in the side. Now, if you're visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're very glad that you are here. You may have already walked by, but just outside these double doors, there's a welcome desk, and there are people there who would love to meet you and to answer any questions you have. Now, of course, everybody else in this room would love to meet you too and answer any questions you have as well. But at the welcome desk, we also have a gift we would love to give to you. So at the end of the service, if you uh, are comfortable with it, we'd love to have you stop by there and meet you and make you feel welcome. Now, if you would uh, turn your attention to the screens, we have a short video we want to show you about life groups. I know that we're all concerned about we don't have a lot of time to get everything done. And uh, since I retired this year, I don't know how I had time to go to work because I don't have time to get anything done. But um, you got to make life group uh, priority, just like you have to make God a priority every morning when you wake up. You get so much back in return for making God and for making your life group a priority. The, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. It multiplies coming back to you in the uh, relationships that you get. In a church the size of Newcastle, there's always the opportunity to meet lots of new people every week, but it's also having the ability to, to see uh, the people you know well and, and say hello. And uh, outside of that, it's also a good investment because it allows you to, to grow deeper in your faith. Um, it's the people that will challenge you. It's the people that will help you to um, walk the Christian life together. Um, I just know how valuable it has been for us throughout the years. I think we've been in ours for about seven years now, I would mm -hmm. say, six or yep. seven years. And just the way that we've been able to um, grow spiritually through the advice and counsel of our fellow life group members has been such a blessing for us. All right, so we're in our life group kickoff season right now. Life groups are about to 
restart for the new, for the fall quarter. And so at the end of the service, if you haven't seen it yet, just out those doors in the back, you'll see this big Hobby Lobby looking tiered panel thing. And there's a bunch of life group, uh, different life groups are all there on the wall and you can check out which ones are open and which ones you might be interested in. But we would strongly encourage all of you to get plugged into a life group if you're not already involved in one. This is a really core, um, vital aspect of our church life. And it, it's a, it a provides the opportunity for us to develop um, deep relationships and grow spiritually together where just being together on a Sunday morning of a church this size makes it really challenging to do that. So we'd really encourage you. And, you know, we all have the same amount of time every day, every week, every month, every year. And so really the question that you have to prayerfully think about as you think about life groups is, how am I spending my time? Is my time being spent and invested in things that have an eternal value? Or am I spending more of my time in things that have a temporal value and will not last beyond this life? Life groups, I guarantee you, will have eternal value that will last beyond this and it was something you will participate in and never walk away going man I regretted doing that they are such a sweet time of fellowship and so I strongly encourage you to, to prayerfully consider that one last thing is we have a very special guest with us um, this morning we have our global outreach partners K and H with us this morning and we just got done during our 9:30 hour with a really sweet time of hearing an update from them and don't worry if you missed it we will have a short update from them during the elder prayer time here in just a little bit but I encourage you guys to uh, after you see them during the uh, the prayer update do make a point to meet them, greet them, love on them while they are here. And if you don't know who they are, you'll find out pretty soon why I'm only using initials and not saying their name. They are our global outreach partners who are ministering in a very hostile area in the world. So we're so thankful to have them here, but show, their, show them uh, our love for them while they are here. But before we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, we thank you so much for this sweet occasion to come together to express the unity that we have together in Christ. How great indeed you are, Lord, how holy you are, how majestic you are. We are so, so thankful that you are our portion. We are the richest of all people, so inundated with spiritual blessings that we are just full of praises and thanksgivings to you, Lord. And I pray for your help for each one of us here this morning, that as we sing songs to you, as we sing songs to one another, as we pray together corporately, as we um, sit under the teaching of your word, I pray that all of this would be done with intentionality in our hearts to show you honor and to glorify you. And I pray that you would strengthen our church so that we may continue to live together and walk together in harmony, pursuing the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, and living out the gospel call for which you have left us here so that we may spread your honor and fame across the world. We ask for your blessing over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand as we continue singing. Immortal, invisible, God only 
accessible, hid from our eyes. Most holy, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, your great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, not wanting or wasting, you rule us in might. Your justice like mountains, high soaring above, your clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Most holy, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, your great name we pay. From you, Lord, to both great and small, in all life you live, Lord, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish, but quickly grow frail. We wither and perish, but you never fail. Most holy, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious. to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will in no means clear the guilty. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, your angels adore you all veiling their sight. All praise we will render, O oh Father of grace,
stream here for a few minutes and uh, K&H if you would like to come up we'd love to hear from you
song that reminds us of the glorious truth that wherever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than Ladies only on verse 2. Thank you for singing. God's grace is far greater than all of our sin. Isn't that wonderful news? Oh, wonderful. That's the truth that motivates us to worship. That's why we've gathered today to worship the one who saved us and delivered us from sin. So I would encourage you to take your copy of God's word now and open it to Ephesians chapter 4. 
as we continue our worship together from Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, just raise your hand. We have copies of God's Word we would love to give to you today. You can take it home as our gift to you, if that would be a blessing to you as well. Now, before we read from Ephesians 4, just a quick update on our pastoral search for our new Associate Pastor of Care and Discipleship. Last month, our search team had the privilege of interviewing three new candidates for this role. And after these candidates met with our search team, and then they also met with our associate pastors, we invited one of those candidates to come for an on-site visit and a first interview with our elders. So last weekend, Josh and Kelly Gerber joined us for worship here in our, in our worship gatherings, and they successfully completed and endured, should I say, their first elder interview. So our elders have been praying all week this week and discussing together, and we're now eager to move to the next step in our candidating process, which would be to invite Pastor Josh to come to Newcastle for a public ministry weekend. So next Sunday, August 21st, Pastor Josh will be preaching for us in both services. And then during the 930 hour, all of our adults and our rooted students will actually share in a casual Q&A time with Pastor Josh just to get to know him and his family better. Now, a public ministry weekend is a very, very important and necessary part of any pastoral search process. So we want to clearly communicate expectations to everyone. The elders are not yet presenting Pastor Josh for a vote. Our elders have not yet decided whether Josh should serve as our new pastor or not. So next weekend, along with the second elder interview, is just the next very important and necessary step in our pastoral search process to discern whether or not God is calling Pastor Josh to join our church family or not. So as you know, we've had other candidates come and have a public ministry weekend with us, and then they've been released from our consideration. So this weekend is still very much a part of our discernment process as a church and as a leadership as we're praying for God's wisdom in all of this. Therefore, in light of that, I want to offer you three coaching tips for next weekend as a church family. You ready? The first thing I want to encourage us to do is please pray. Please pray for Pastor Josh and Kelly and their children. They'll be traveling here from Tennessee where he currently pastors. So pray for God's favor on their traveling mercies. Pray for Josh's ministry through the word to us next week. Pray for our hearts and minds and their families' hearts and minds, especially for their children, and that God would guard our hearts with peace and contentment. The, the pastor church dating process is never really easy, and especially as it gets more and more public and children are involved, and so please be praying for the Gerber family. Number two, please look for creative ways to encourage this family when they're with us next weekend. Regardless of whether we hire him to be one of our pastors or not, 
They are a like-minded family that are dear brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we want to love them well for however much time God gives us with them. So please, we sincerely desire that their every interaction with our church family would be life-giving to them and would help encourage their faith and strengthen their love for his church. And then finally, after Pastor Josh's visit, (laughs) Pastor Josh's visit, I can't hardly say that, After his visit next weekend, please share your feedback with our elders. Our elders take these decisions very seriously, and we highly value your feedback and, of course, your prayers. You should all receive an email later this week with uh, more information introducing Pastor Josh to you in advance. So please keep praying. We are so thankful, church, to be at this stage of our pastoral search process again, and we are very humbly dependent upon God for his merciful clarity for next steps. So, with that announcement, now let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our series on building up the body of Christ together here. Uh, I'm going to read in just a moment from verses 7 to 16. But today we're really just focused on verses 7 to 11. But I want to I read the whole thought all the way to the end of verse 16 to help us kind of uh, catch the context. So if you're able to stand for the public reading of God's word, uh, I'm going to read starting in verse 7. You can remember that the verses 1 to 6 kind of grounded us in our supernatural source for unity last week. So now I'll start reading from the ESV translation In Ephesians 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather that we would speak the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And we need to pray for God's help. So let's pray together before we meditate upon this text in the message. Father, I pray that your spirit would do again 
what we don't deserve. That you would lavish your grace upon your church through the preaching of your word. That you'd remove all distractions from us and you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to believe that you are king and you are the head of the church and and you are Lord and conqueror and victor over all. I pray, Father, that you'd use this message again to mobilize your body, to, to, to unify your body, to strengthen us in faith. I pray that you'd forgive us for our sins, even as we, even, even as we submit ourselves under, the, under your word in this time together, that if there's any conviction that your spirit brings to us, that you'd give us the grace to quickly confess that sin and, and be forgiven that this might be a time of purification, that this might be a time of strengthening and a time of growing for us as a body. Father, you know how weak I am. I'm tired. And so I pray for your spirit's energy to use your word through my weak lips to bless your church. Please, we wait eagerly for you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, Ephesians chapter 4 is calling our attention to focus on this topic of spiritual gifts. I believe this particular topic of spiritual gifts might actually be one of the most misunderstood and most misapplied topics here in our church. Because immediately, some of us get panicky as soon as the topic of spiritual gifts come up. It's like, I don't like talking about spiritual gifts because I don't really know what my gift is. And as soon as this topic comes up, I get self-conscious and I don't, I'm embarrassed that I don't know what my gift is compared to other people. Or some of us just get weird when this topic comes up. Uh, we, we, we weirdly excuse ourselves from certain ministries because they say, well, I'm, I'm not gifted to serve in that way. Or, on the other hand, we, we actually use spiritual gifts to call attention to ourselves, and we even view, some of us view spiritual gifts as the true measure of true spirituality among the church. And in response to all of those wrong thinking, others of us are just quite content to never talk about spiritual gifts at all. It's, it seems like the Holy Spirit and his work is just too freaky. It's just best left forgotten. And so we simply dismiss this topic of spiritual gifts as being too controversial, too non-essential. It's not worth the debate. So what reaction do you have when you hear the topic, spiritual gifts? Is this a favorite topic? Is this a dreaded topic? Is this a mysterious topic? Is it an unimportant topic to you? When's the last time that you seriously thought about God giving you a special gift of his grace? And then how did that change how you lived within the body of Christ? See, Ephesians 4, 7 to 11 pierces through the fog of all of our fears and all of our confusion surrounding spiritual gifts so that we'd refocus our gaze on Jesus, the sovereign head of the church. 
a worthy walk, a, a, a way of living that is evidencing our gospel calling requires a right understanding and a right application of spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. After all, the main point of verses 7 to 11 is that the victorious Christ unifies and strengthens his church by giving spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts should never be the reason for division or discouragement within the church. Indeed, the opposite. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to reign supreme over all things as the head of his church. And in his conquering triumph, he generously gives spiritual gifts to his children in order to unify us and to build us up together as one body of love. So look now at verse 7, where we first learn how Christ gives each one of us an unique grace gift. So after verses 4 to 6 revealed the sevenfold grounds of the church's unity, verse 7 begins with a contrasting conjunction, but... To make sure that we understand that in all of our unity in Christ's church, God never intends for that to be uniformity. Yes, every Christian is part of the same body of Christ and depends on the same Holy Spirit and shares the same eternal hope. Every Christian submits to the same Lord and believes the same gospel and publicly identifies with the same death of Christ for salvation. Every Christian has been adopted by the same Heavenly Father who is actively ruling over all Christians and working through all Christians and dwelling in all Christians but, verse 7 clarifies, our unity does not mean that every Christian receives the same amount of spiritual gifting for ministry. In fact, spiritual oneness in the church requires a great amount of diversity within the body of Christ for the glory of God. So read again verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So first notice, what did, what did every Christian receive from Christ? What does it say? Grace. A grace gift. A gift of grace. Literally, a grace gift. We call these spiritual gifts. Now, we sang earlier of wonderful grace of our God. I can't even think of the words right now, but I know the tune. We, we sang of the saving grace of God that saved us from our sin, right? But not only does God give us grace to save us from sin, but every Christian additionally receives a unique spiritual gift of enabling grace from Jesus for ministry. Listen how Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, Paul writes, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So spiritual gifts are personalized grace gifts that God intends for his children to use for others' spiritual benefit. You see the same truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
where Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each Christian, you could say to each Christian, to each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each Christian individually as he wills. So here, spiritual gifts are referred to as the manifestation of the Spirit that each individual Christian receives for the common good of the building up of the body. 1 Peter chapter 4 teaches the same thing. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, when Paul's teaching that grace was given to each one of us, this is referring to our spiritual gift. So before we proceed, we have to biblically define what is a spiritual gift. Are you ready? From the verses we've considered, I think it's clear that a spiritual gift is a supernatural enablement to minister grace to others. So just like a spiritual fingerprint, every Christian receives a different measure or a different quantity of God's enabling grace for ministry so that we are to use that grace by faith in God for the common good or the building up of the church. So I want you to add a note or a phrase into your notes. I want you to add this when it says a spiritual gift is a supernatural enablement to minister grace to others. Add this phrase, by faith. By faith in Christ. Faith is absolutely necessary here because for any ministry to truly be spiritual, it has to communicate God's power and God's grace but it has to do so through faith in God. No matter what powerful abilities we have, if we are not relying on God's grace, in other words, having faith in God, and we're not aiming to help people experience God's grace, in other words, aiming to help people have greater faith in God, then our ability, no matter how powerful it might be, is not spiritual, it is not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is the supernatural grace that's given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in ministry for the upbuilding of other people's faith in Christ. You say, Kevin, that's a lot of words. Let me make it simple. Spiritual gifts are God's enabling grace for faith's ministry to, other, to others. God's enabling grace for faith's ministry to others. Verse 7 emphasizes that this ministry enablement was undeserved. It was unmerited. No one can boast or brag about their spiritual gift because it's all of grace. (laughs) It's an unearned part of our gospel benefit package that is personally given to each believer. Did you notice this grace was given to every single believer in verse 7? Not just ministry leaders, not just those Christians with outgoing personalities. Every individual Christian receives a personalized, enabling grace from Christ for the building up of his body, the church. You know what that means? That means there's no such thing as a spectator in the body of Christ. 
Every Christian has a specific role to play in God's church. It doesn't matter if you're the foot or the hand or the eye or the ear. Jesus has purposefully given every believer a personalized measure of his enabling grace for us to use by faith in his power to unify and strengthen his church. Now, of course, whenever there's diversity in the church, that's an opportunity for conflict. So some might ask, well, how is this fair? How is it fair for one Christian to receive one amount of enabling grace and another Christian to receive a different amount of enabling grace? This doesn't seem fair. And so in verses 8 to 10, Paul goes on to explain how Christ gives gifts by his own supreme sovereign authority. Spiritual gifts are not fair because spiritual gifts are not about us. It's about grace. And it's all about God's glory, not our glory, the supremacy of Christ. No Christian ever deserves to receive grace. But according to the measure of Christ's gift, the end of verse 7 says, each one of us has been received, has been given a grace gift. Now, what does this mean at the end of verse 7? According to his own measure refers to Christ-appointed allotment. So the one who is the head of the church sovereignly designs every believer's role within his own body. And, And then he accordingly distributes within his own body to each member a specific portion of his enabling grace to each member. Spiritual gifts are not permanent. The the grace that God gives us for ministry can change over time. And in fact, it certainly will as the needs of your own local church changes over time. Spiritual gifts are not limited to those lists like those that are found on a spiritual gift test or like those found in Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those biblical lists of gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are, are merely representative. They're not restrictive of the kinds, they're representative of the kinds of speaking or serving graces that God might gift his children with for his greater glory in the church. So let's be humble enough as we listen to this today to recognize that we had no more to do with the receipt of our enabling gift for ministry than we did for the electing gift of God's grace for our salvation. Jesus himself sovereignly determines your unique measure of grace for ministry. And just like a snowflake that's individualized, it's all according to his own determination. You say, well, can you, what's the point of that? That means we shouldn't covet or be jealous of anybody that has a different gift than us. The difference of the gift never determines a person's value in the church. Rather, our value, your value to this church is determined by how you use the grace that God has given to you for the unity of this body. So now, verse 8 quotes from Psalm 68, verse 18. And in Psalm 68, verse 18, David is speaking of God ascending up to Jerusalem with Israel after God had defeated all of his rebellious enemies. Psalm 68 is a victorious celebration of God's triumph over the wicked. 
In verse 18, God ascends into his sanctuary in a victory parade that includes all those whom he has conquered and restored under his kingdom rule. He then receives gifts of tribute and military spoil from people who celebrate his triumph. So that's Psalm 68. So back in Ephesians 4, Paul refers to Psalm 68 to give scriptural proof for Jesus' right to distribute grace among his redeemed however he sees best. Jesus distributes spiritual gifts to individual Christians according to his own triumph. Through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection on earth, Jesus defeated Satan, Jesus defeated sin, and Jesus defeated death. Isn't that good news? Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death. And death and Satan and sin have been forever destroyed. And Jesus has now ascended as the eternal conquering king. By his glorious victory, Jesus leads captive all those who were formerly enslaved to sin and Satan and death. But they have now been returned to God through the victory of his son. Since Jesus now owns us, He has the full right and the full prerogative to lavish us with his grace according to whatever will bring him the most glory in his body. Verses 9 and 10 offer Paul's further commentary about Christ's triumph. And while there's lots of debate among scholars about what is meant by ascended and descended, It seems best to me to just take them at face value. So the ascension of Christ in verses 9 and 10 refer to what happened to Jesus after his resurrection. Do you remember in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended up into the heavens and according after his resurrection, he ascended up into the heavens and according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20, he was then seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. So that's the ascension of Christ that's, that Paul's referring to here. The descension of Christ in verses 9 to 10 simply refers to Jesus' incarnation where Jesus came down from heaven to earth to live among sinners on earth. He descended from heaven to earth. The lower regions at the end of verse 9 is, is in contrast to that, uh, the phrase far above all the heavens and thus is just a synonym for the earth. It, it's simply showing both the extreme contrast of Jesus' condensation, condensa- condensation? His lowering <laughs> and his exaltation. So there's extremes. He's, he's really, really low on the earth. He's really, really high in the heavens, right? So the victorious triumph of Christ gives him the authority to give different amounts of grace however he sees best. And then finally, notice that important phrase at the end of verse 10, so that... Christ might fill all things. So Christ gives gifts according to his own measure, according to his own triumph, and according to his own goal, namely that he might fill all things. 
Jesus came to earth to redeem for himself a bride. He ascended to the throne of heaven to reign as the head of his church so that he can now give spiritual gifts to every Christian so that he might fill all things. Now, this could be an entire sermon all by itself, but quickly ask yourself, what does it mean that Jesus would fill all things? How is the universe filled with all the fullness of God? <laughs> well, since we've been studying Ephesians, remember Ephesians 1 verse 10, which teaches that God's purpose or goal in our salvation was to unite all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And then in verses 22 to 23 of chapter 1, Paul wrote that God put all things under Jesus' feet and now gave him as head over all things to the church, listen, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So how is the universe filled with all the fullness of God? By Jesus building his church. By the growth and expansion and the building of Christ's body, the church. This is how Jesus fills all things. So how is the body of the church going to be strengthened and built up? Well, through the individual members' exercise of the spiritual graces that Jesus has sovereignly given to us. So church, spiritual gifts are eternally significant. Spiritual gifts are Jesus' church growth strategy. The undeserved, personalized grace gifts of supernatural empowerment to minister God's grace to others by faith in God's power is the very means that Jesus intends to use to build his church and thereby eternally fill the entire universe with his glorious presence and rule. So don't miss God's eternal purpose for your spiritual gift. I'm praying that God is going to use this message somehow here at Newcastle Bible Church to, to, to change our perspective and to tweak our approach to this topic. We need to stop focusing so much of our attention on what gift we have and instead begin faithfully using God's grace that he's sovereignly given us for the building up of his body in love. Now, in verse 11, Paul illustrates how his gifts to his church include spiritually gifted people. After all, a person who receives God's grace, a grace gift from Jesus, is now a gifted person, right? So in verse 11, Paul shows how the unity of his diversely gifted church is strengthened when Christ gives gifted spiritual leaders to his church. Now, there's a strong temptation here to become so distracted with the definitions of each of these leadership offices in verse 11 that we would actually miss Paul, Paul's point. So let's just take a minute and review and reflect what, what got us to this point in Ephesians 4? What, what's been Paul's argument through chapter 4 so far? Well, remember, in verses 1 to 6, Paul calls all Christians to respond to our gospel calling with worthy living. 
worthy living is first expressed in gospel-driven heart attitudes and then in a doctrinal conviction of the gospel realities which unite all Christians together in our one new humanity in Christ. And then in verses 7 to 10, Paul introduces Christ-appointed diversity. And he explains how every believer has received a grace gift that's grounded in the eternal triumph of, of Christ. The victorious Christ unifies and strengthens his church by giving spiritual gifts until he supremely fills the entire universe with his body and with his love. Now verse 11 is continuing the thought of verse 7, highlighting how Jesus gives grace-gifted leaders to his church so that the church could be organized and stabilized by the truth of his gospel instead of the childish philosophies of the world that are mentioned in verse 14. So I want you to notice, what what do all four of these leaders have in common? Grace-gifted apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. What do they all have in common? Well, all of these people are ministering the truth of God's gospel to God's church in some way. They're all teachers. They're all communicators. And this is no accident because the same Jesus who came to earth to die and ascended to heaven as victor over sin and death is the same one who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be shepherds and teachers. Because Jesus knows that when a disciple is fully trained, he will become like his teacher. The greatest need of God's church today is to know Jesus. And the only solid, certain way to know Jesus is through the revelation of his word. Only God's word reveals the mystery of our gospel unity together in one body. Therefore, those who have been gifted by God's grace to speak God's word are those that Jesus calls to lead his church. God doesn't call those who are gifted in organizational leadership or management strategies to lead his church. He calls those who are teachers because God's church is fundamentally a living creature of the word. Think about it. Christians are born again by the imperishable seed of the living word of God. Christians are sanctified by the exceeding great and precious promises of the word of God. We are trained in righteousness and equipped for every good work by the word of God. We are comforted and encouraged to wait for this coming of the Lord by the promises of God's word. The word of God is the lifeblood of the church because Jesus himself is the head of the church. Therefore, all spiritual leaders in God's church must first be gifted to reveal and teach what God has already said. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time in today's message to explain all four of these gifted leaders in detail. Believe me, I tried, but the sermon was about 65 minutes long. So instead, I put it in the footnotes. So there's long footnotes in the manuscript today. Lots of scripture there for you to look up. But please just notice for now that verse 11 describes four different kinds of spiritual leaders. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. You say, Kevin, I count five. No, actually, in the Greek grammar, 
It connects shepherds and teachers together, so we know both words are actually referring to the same person, not two different people. Now, interestingly, the apostles and the New Testament prophets have already been referred to twice in Ephesians. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul taught that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So 2.20 along with 3.5 reveals that the apostles and the New Testament prophets were responsible by God to lay a New Testament foundation for the church. How? By receiving and declaring the word of God, the gospel, and authenticating that message with signs and wonders and miracles. I've provided supported scripture in the footnotes today. But once the canon of Scripture was closed and all of the Scriptures had been revealed to us through these New Testament apostles and prophets, there's no longer apostles and prophets active in the church today. But now Jesus' church is led by gifted evangelists and pastor teachers. The evangelists are those gifted by God's grace to spread the good news Or preach the gospel. The pastor teacher is also referred to as an elder or an overseer in other parts of the New Testament. And this is a person who's gifted by God's grace to feed the flock of God with the word of God. Teaching, leading, nourishing, protecting God's people with the very words of God himself. And in this way, the victorious Christ unifies and strengthens his church by giving us spiritual gifts. Gifted evangelists and pastor teachers today equip gifted saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. But we're going to have to wait until next time to dig deeper into Jesus' building campaign of love that is reflected in the rest of these verses. For now, I want to take the rest of our time and I want to really exhort you, church. I want to encourage us together to respond in faith and obedience to what we've already learned this morning from verses 7 to 11. I'm going to encourage us to faithfully use God's grace to strengthen and unify Christ's church. If I was to say it negatively, I would say that means we have to reject the spectator mindset. We have to get off the proverbial couch of selfishness. We have to push away from the proverbial table of consumerism. Jesus has lavishly poured out his grace upon us, upon each of us, for the building up of his church, not for our own personal pride, not for our own personal gain. So let me ask you some personal questions by way of application. You don't have to say your answers out loud, okay? This is just for you and God, but be humble, be honest. First question. Have you personally been captivated by Jesus. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you call yourself a Christian. Be honest. Have you personally been captivated by Christ? Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you fully trusted that Jesus came down from heaven to conquer Satan, sin, and death in your place? 
And then he rose up again. (laughs) And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, living as your Lord and your King forever. See, if you're not yet a slave to Christ, then this message is a gospel invitation for you. You must submit to God's gospel calling in your life before you will ever experience God's gospel conduct in your life. Trust Jesus today for your salvation. And you will receive both the grace to save you from sin and the enabling grace to love others in the body and build up our unity together. Next, ask yourself, am I presently serving in the supernatural ministry of my local church as God would have me to serve in this present season of my life? Because the best way to actually begin using God's grace for ministry is actually not to take a spiritual gifts test. The best way to begin using God's grace for ministry is actually to cultivate a spiritual character of love that actually desires to build up Christ's body and strengthen others in their faith. Let me say it very plainly this way. Those who most faithfully use God's grace for ministry in the church are those who focus much more on their spiritual character than they ever focus on their spiritual gift. Because only those who are filled with the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And since all spiritual gifts aim at producing love, not selfish entitlement, and faith, not self-confidence, then our focus must first be on living under the control of God's Spirit in all my relationships with others. We must never mistake the operation of a spiritual gift for spiritual fruit or for spiritual maturity. Pastor Tim Keller once said this very wisely. He said, Gifts without fruit is like a tire without air. You will eventually collapse. So if you're not cultivating your prayer life, and if you're not seeking to walk in the Spirit every day, but you're feverishly busy in ministry, oh, you're cruising for a bruising. Because we must let the word of God dwell in us richly. We must walk under the control of the spirit. This is the character of faith that necessarily undergirds all spiritual ministry in the church. And then, once you're focused more on your spiritual character than you are on your spiritual gifts, simply start praying fervently praying, and and start serving in the opportunities that are already around you in the local church. Because as one pastor wisely said, it's much easier to discover your gift through ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. Does that make sense? The question is a matter of sequence. It's much easier to discover your gift through ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. So stop, one of my prayers for this has been that, that we would stop our 
our fascination, our infatuation with which gift we have. And instead, that we start focusing on spiritual character and then look for opportunities to love others and, and, and pray and listen and look to see what needs to be done in the church and then ask yourself these two questions. Who is someone's faith that I could help to strengthen? Maybe you know an answer to that question right now. Who is someone's faith that God would give me the grace to help strengthen? Or how could I express my faith in Jesus in a way that would encourage others to have greater faith in Jesus? Just start humbly ministering to others with your words and with your works. And when you speak, make sure that you're communicating God's words and not your own. And when you serve, make sure you're serving in the strength that God supplies and not your own. And when you notice that Jesus is being glorified and your church is becoming stronger and more unified because of your ministry, then you can be confident that God's spiritual gift is at work in you. So church, let's demystify and de-freak spiritual gifts. Our victorious Christ has given us, every one of us, every one of us, a personalized allotment of his enabling grace so that his church might be better strengthened and unified. We've truly been gifted for unity. May we never neglect to use what God has so graciously given to us. Let's pray. So Father, as a church, we say thank you for being a God of grace. There is no God like you. We, we bring our sin to the table and where our sin abounds, your grace does even far more abound. Oh Father, we just pray that you'd forgive us for where we have taken such a man-centered external perspective on spiritual gifts Forgive us where we've approached this topic from the perspective of ourselves rather than your triumph. I pray, Father, that you just give us tremendous joy in the triumph of Christ, that, that we, would, we would be satisfied in our souls because of your victory and that we would embrace your ownership, that we'd be captivated by you, literally. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have the faith to take the grace that you supply and to share it with others so that they would grow in their love for you and their belief in your goodness. Oh God, I pray, please purify your church. Do a mighty work within us for the sake of your name that you might fill all things through Christ and his body, we pray. Amen. Well, in response to the word and the exhortation we, re we have received, would you please stand and let us sing in response what should be the longing of our heart. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to
by side for the faith of the gospel. Is that the prayer of your heart? Lord, I want my heart to be the place where you reign. I want my heart to be your throne. We serve an enthroned, victorious Christ. He's ascended into the heavens. He will fill all things through his church. Only our pride, only our rebellion would keep him from filling your heart today. So Lord, take my heart. It's your throne. Everything I have, it's all yours. I'm not going to boast. Everything I got, I received from you. <laughs> but help me be a good steward. So everything you've given me, I want to turn it back to you for the building up of your body, for the unification of your people. Oh, for love, for love. Church, we love you. It's such a joy to serve alongside of you and to learn from Ephesians together. Before we pray our benediction, I just want to uh, remind you again that K and H are here for the next month uh, with us uh, from Topaz. There are more people in this room worshiping together in this hour than are a total number of Christians in their city in Topaz. So we are so blessed. We've been given so much that we didn't deserve. So let's make sure for this next month while K&H are with us that we would love them well and encourage them. Invite them to your life group. Invite them to your home. Love for them. Pray for them. Encourage their kids however we can to welcome them just like Christ welcomes them. And today we're doing an exit offering. All the money that gets put in the special boxes at the uh, exits will go to serve their ministry and encourage them for the glory of God in Topaz. So please remember them today as we leave. Let's pray our benediction now from Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Will you pray it with me? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all of God's slaves would say, amen. amen. You are dismissed.